This is an old carol with Welsh roots. Dark the night lay, wild and dreary, dark the night lay. The song tells of wild and chaotic conditions prevailing on earth, but there is a person who is intelligent and wise, and he knows to look up, to look skyward, and despite the cloudiness above, he catches sight of a star, and he is enchanted. The overall conditions may not have changed, but now there is beauty and harmony to behold, and still a sense of mystery that lingers. And now there seems to be an ordering principle of sorts that may just put all this worldly upheaval into greater perspective. We're hearing the Robert Dale Chorale, now the Arcadia Chorale, under the direction of Dr. Stephen Thomas. We're beginning here with a kind of metaphor in music as we remember the special qualities of Dr. Thomas that made him a preeminent musician and conductor and much-loved colleague, teacher, and friend. Susan Minsavage is a musician and educator. She and Stephen were married in 2006, and she will soon talk with us about how truly Stephen valued, never lost sight of, the big picture in any of his pursuits. How appropriate then to learn that Dr. Thomas loved astronomy, that he had his own telescope and cherished those very dark nights when he could see the stars, stars that formed galaxies and filled him with wonder and delight. And Sue will talk with us about how making music creates beauty and community and seems to banish the chaos we're hearing about in the carol and experiencing, in fact, around us. Dr. Stephen Thomas passed away peacefully on July 12, 2020, in Philadelphia, following complications from acute myeloid leukemia. He had been on leave from Wilkes University, where he was professor of music and chair of the Division of Performing Arts. Stephen was a native of Kansas City, Missouri, he received his undergraduate degree from Harvard University before earning the Doctor of Musical Arts degree in choral conducting from Yale University. Stephen became the director of choral activities at Wilkes in 1999. In addition to teaching various classes with the music curriculum, he led the university chorus and the chamber singers. Outside of the university, Stephen was the music director of the Arcadia Chorale, formerly the Robert Dell Chorale, and we're hearing that ensemble now, led by Dr. Thomas. Stephen was well known to the Northeastern Pennsylvania classical music community as his groups appeared in concert and here on WVIA radio throughout the year. He was a frequent guest on Art Scene. Stephen sang tenor as well in the Lyric Consort a distinguished specialized ensemble with medieval, renaissance, and contemporary repertoire. In the fall of 2020, Wilkes University honored Stephen 
by awarding him the inaugural Arthur J. Hoover Legacy Award for his accomplishments as a dedicated educator, talented artist, and beloved member of the campus community. Stephen was also posthumously granted emeritus status to acknowledge his distinguished career. Members of the music community of the region will pay tribute to their dear friend and colleague, Stephen Thomas, with a memorial concert this Sunday, May 1st, at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in downtown Wilkes-Barre. Suman Savage is a vocalist, educator, speech-language, pathologist, and writer of creative nonfiction. And she paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk with us about Stephen Thomas and the way the music community in the region is coming together to celebrate his life and music. We began by asking her to introduce us to Stephen Thomas. Stephen was an incredibly kind, generous, intelligent as all get out, <laughs> talented, skillful, all around nice guy, wonderful educator, patient beyond anybody's expectations, honestly. All, all of the good things that you can think of in an educator with the ability to keep a big picture in mind and be able to see vision for his students, vision for his department, vision for his ensembles, and to know that it was a collaborative effort. I, I, I've never worked with a music director, and I've worked with many, I've never worked with a music director who was so egoless in the process. And that's a unique thing because sometimes music directors rely on ego to get you to do things. <laughs> Stephen never had to rely on that. He, he relied on the process. He relied on respect. Uh, he relied on collaboration and community. And he trusted his singers. He trusted his players. He trusted his colleagues. And if we needed a little help, he was always there. He knew exactly what to tell us. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers the question, but but he was just a, really a wonderful man, and it's hard to, to sum it up. It's an unfair question. You're <laughs> absolutely right. And the thing is, when he would come to the table to talk about music, he would refer to this and that experience that he had in this chorus or singing this work. But what do you think ultimately music meant to him not just as a teacher, he wanted to pass it on, of course, and that was very important, but making music. I think, as it is for many of us who are performing artists, I think that there's a fundamental need, I think I would call it a need, to find a way to express that which is ineffable. And some of us find that through music, some of us find that through visual art, some of us find that through gardening, some of us find that through baking, whatever it is. But, but as performing artists, we, we move toward music, right? So, so Stephen and I will speak about our experience. And I, I think for him, because he was reserved, and um, I suppose I had the, the singular joy of being the person he was the most open with, but he, he was a, a reserved personality. I think music allowed him a, a means through which to explore the human condition that had a refinement about it, that had a beauty about it, that had, a, I will say, a structure to it so that it didn't feel chaotic. So I think sometimes we as performing artists, and again, I'll speak for me and Stephen, I think, I think the reason we do it is to find a way to express the ineffable, but also to organize chaos. And I think that that was on a large scale what it was for him, uh, both as a performer and as a conductor. Now, I will say, 
because he was a conductor, his instrument, quote unquote instrument, of course, he was a talented pianist and, and a clarinetist when he was younger. His instrument was a, a group of people. <laughs> so your performance relies on not just yourself. You're not a solo artist in that regard. It relies on a lot of other people. And I think that that aspect of his music making, that communal aspect, was another layer for him because it was a way to have that group experience and to really to be a part of something bigger than himself. I think about the times we spoke about the little teeny pieces that might be programmed and then the big Bach festival and the range. And he had a sensitivity to the text. Yes, yes, very much so. I, I, I hate to say this about some of my fellow singers, and I don't mean anyone in our community, but coming up as a, as a singing person, I have in my life I had the experience of, of working with singers who the, the point was their voice. The point was the sound of their voice. And they were technicians and they, and they, they really, you know, they, they strove and there's value in that. But I can't tell you how frustrating it is to speak with a singer who, who is, for instance, singing in another language and has never done a translation. <laughs> that would never occur to Stephen to be a, a way to, to approach the world. So I think, uh, again, it, it was this connectivity that he was searching for. It's not just the composer, it's the poet. It's uh, the performer and what you bring to the music and to the, and to the text itself. And the text is part of the music. The text is part of the music. And that was always a very important aspect of his music making. And we spoke as we were getting ready, Sue, about his joy in putting together a program so that this would lead to this or would contrast with this and make this beautiful, I would say, Stephen, tell us about the arc, the concert's arc. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. I have to say, in, in putting May 1st program together, Stephen and I talked about what he might like for something like this, but a lot of it was left to me and to the ensembles. And I, I want to say, I want to give myself credit and say, I, I never took Stephen for granted. I knew when we were together how lucky I was to have access to such intelligence and skill and talent on a daily basis. And I recognized his ability to put a program together. But when I was putting this program together, my goodness, did my appreciation for his programmatic skills go through the roof. Because I'll tell you, it is not an easy task to balance emotional affect, style, you know, what is going to give the audience the catharsis they're looking for, what is going to balance out, well, you can't have, you know, three sad songs in a row, <laughs> even something that, that fundamentally basic. I really have a deeper appreciation for what it means to program a choral concert now that I've had to do it. And believe me, I watched him do it. <laughs> but until you do it yourself, you really, you really don't understand it. The, the challenge. And I remember well when the shift in the Arcadia Chorale from Robert Dale Chorale to Arcadia was in the works. And Stephen would come and say that we're reconsidering and we're thinking about some things and we'll have some announcements to make and so forth. But he took that very seriously. And the naming, he was involving the rest of you all in it. But what did that mean coming to Arcadia and, and establishing it as his ensemble? Well, and it's interesting that you, that you said it that way because I, I think one of his goals in, in transitioning us from the Robert Dale Chorale to Arcadia Chorale was actually to make it not so much his ensemble, but to make it, and, and it's an interesting to say, it's an interesting question because given where we are, the situation we're in, I, I think he wanted to make the scope of the ensemble beyond himself. Because again, get, going back to that idea of vision for his ensemble's vision for his colleagues, 
Bob Harama established the Corral back in the 70s, and what a gift that was to the community and the work that they did and, and the community that he established among the singers was extraordinary. And of course, we still have some of those folks singing with us, and I'm very proud to say that they're, they're still with us. He established a wonderful foundation, and when Stephen took it over, I think he was thinking, you know, what, where is this going to go generations from now? This is not just during my part of my career, taking the foundation that Bob had established and now moving it on. And, and I have to say, we are at that transition point. You know, we have been since Stephen had to step away with Matthew Rupsich, and I'm so pleased to be working with Matthew. He's a he's a wonderful person, not just a wonderful conductor, but a wonderful person, and has brought his energy into our rethinking of ourselves as the ensemble. I mean, I wasn't even here for the first year of that because I was away, but he he really is taking it to the next generation and the next stage of what this ensemble is. So I think, from my perspective, what Stephen was looking to do was to broaden the notion of what the chorale was and that that idea of Arcadia, that beautiful, natural place, that utopian, idyllic sort of um, physical space that we think of when we think of that word. I think that's what he was hoping to create, not just to reflect the beauty of our natural Nipah region, but what we are trying to do musically. One of the things that we can say, and you probably will help us understand, he had this instrument, which is the chorale. He had his students whom he was working with, but he had a voice himself, and he could sing with the lyric consort. What did that outlet provide for him? So much, so much. Um, and it's funny, my, my, my gut reaction is not to speak of it musically at first. My first reaction is to speak of it as a, as a personal joy of his, because he wasn't in, like, quote unquote, in charge of lyric because they were a bunch of colleagues. And, and, and Alan, if you're listening, <laughs> you're the artistic director, so you, the things fell to you, Alan, but if decisions had to be made. But really, they worked as, as colleagues and peers. And it was a way for him to put aside the logistics to put aside the, the you know, we've got to get this thing printed out, we've got to move these music stands over here, we've got to make sure this is covered. It was just a way for him to come back to his roots as a musician. And so singing the repertoire, there was a purity to that for him, that experience where he could let go and, and let the musician in him really just experience that, that fundamental joy of that. The other thing it brought for him was camaraderie. So he worked with those folks for, for uh, my goodness, I don't even remember how many years, and they got to know each other on a level through the music that most of us do not get the chance to do, even if we are musicians, when you have a small ensemble like that. And I think that that was very important to him. And, and I have seen in you know the aftermath of his passing, I, I was not a part of the ensemble. Of course, I would always go hear them, but I, I never sang with them. So I was sort of you know peripheral to the group in that way. But the way that Lyric has reached out to me and has supported me is so indicative to me of what that relationship with Stephen was because they, they care for me as much as they cared for him. And it's it's been humbling and beautiful and difficult. And I think, again, that just really comes down to you when you make music with someone, you know them in a certain way that is not a typical daily experience. There's there's something transcendent about that knowledge about another person. And, and that's what Lyric allowed him to have. He was so skilled and so talented, he could conduct and bring to life a wide range of music from different periods, different styles and so forth. Was he drawn to any particular area or style or composer? 
Well, <laughs> it's funny. People will often, they, they like to ask, and as, as an interviewer, you've probably had this experience where, you know, you, you want to elicit a, a sense of a person and, and a question that might be asked is, you know, who's your favorite composer or what's your favorite piece by this composer? And it's a legitimate question because I think people do have their preferences. And I would say certainly Palestrina, Schutz, uh, Bach, of course, um, but even Stravinsky and, you know, Pert, depending on what we were working on. Stephen was the type of person for whom his favorite composer was whoever he was working on at the time, which to me speaks to that intelligence where he was he was looking at what was in front of him and finding what was the best thing about that piece. And so it, it's not a matter of what's the favorite. It's 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 a mindset almost, you know, where it's I'm working on this and I care about this at the moment. This is the this is my favorite. And then tomorrow I'm working on this other piece and this is my favorite. And I think that's why he was able to elicit such reaction from us as his ensemble because his enthusiasm would just spill over. He didn't have to explicitly say it to us. It would just spill over into what we were doing in a, just a quiet, gentle way. We understood that enthusiasm. That said, I think that for him, what was interesting for him was to see over the course of the canon, you know, when you when you look at the canon, uh, of course, we're, we're trained in the Western canon. When you look look at that canon, where's it going? Where's it going next? You know, what what is what is the future of this? What is the future of choral music? What is the future of classical music? You know, how are we going to adapt to changing media, that type of thing? And so although it wasn't reflected in his work necessarily with our traditional chorales and, and the school programs, he had a really keen interest in those issues, extended vocal technique for choirs and just incorporating different technology into, into things. That, that's something that was always sort of like, well, when I get to it, when I get to it, this is what I want to do. <laughs> and he composed, didn't he? He did. He did. In fact, on May 1st, we'll be doing one of his pieces, Look to This Day. That was something that he wrote for the Chorale when it was Robert Dale Chorale when he, I think it was his second season. We did it in 2005. Uh, we also took it to the ACDA conference in 2010. That was part of our program. And so I, I decided that I would like to include that in our program because I think, again, it sort of speaks to the broadness of his interest, the broadness of his talent. Composition was something he wished he had more time for. <laughs> you know, looking at it from a, if I step back from it, we all have things that we wish we had more time for. And that can mean in any given day, we wish we had a couple more hours. That could mean over the course of a career. And in Stephen's case, unfortunately, his, his life was ended before, you know, too, too short. Let's talk again about teaching, the teacher that Stephen was. I think there's something specific about that undergraduate experience where you're just on the cusp of adulthood and you're stretching your legs and your independence and you're trying to figure out, wh what am I good at? Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Where, where might my professional path take me? But I get to decide what to do with my time now in a way that is different than when you're, you know, in high school. And I think for the undergraduate experience, when you, I, I'm speaking from my own experience, this happened to me when I went to college, you, you find your tribe if you're lucky. And I think that Stephen established uh, community, like many of our, our colleagues do, you know, and I, I say that personally because I know these folks, they establish these wonderful spaces where students can come and make music together. And it really is the best part of their week. And it doesn't matter what their major is. It doesn't matter what their professional pursuits are ultimately going to be. But they're creating something together. They're making deep, lasting friendships. And 
they're getting attention from the Dr. T's, you know, of the of their life, of their experience. And it's encouraging and it's supportive and it's challenging for sure. But he'll also take you for pizza. He'll also beat you at pool <laughs> when you're on your chorus retreat. You know, he will also make the dumbest jokes and just make you groan because they, they are just, you know how smart he is and you can't believe he just said that thing to make you laugh. He just really had that way about him. And, and uh, I know that there is deep love from the alums. I felt it. I've, it's been communicated to me. And I'm just so, so touched that so many of them will be able to be a part of this this coming weekend. That's a good point for us to ask. How will the memorial proceed? Well, I, I will say it, ha- it has morphed because of the time. This is the third date that we've had set for this memorial concert. When Stephen passed in, in July of 2020, obviously the pandemic precluded any sort of gathering at all. And we had hoped, oh my goodness, yes, maybe by May of 2021, we'll be able to have some singing in person again. Now, I will say we weren't completely naive. We thought that was a long shot. So we then thought, well, perhaps we can do it in the fall of 2021 because vaccines are here, but it still was too dicey. So finally, now we're able to do this. And so over the course of that time, some of this has changed. And one of the ways it's changed is that there are two premieres that would not have been available if we had done this at an earlier time. So Lyric Consort that we've spoken about before, when Stephen passed, their response to that was to start a commissioning project. And they are commissioning three pieces in Stephen's honor. New choral works that will enter the repertoire will be available for other choirs to sing. Those of you who do sing, you've seen them in your octavos before this piece was commissioned by so-and-so for such-and-such. Well, Lyric Concert is a so-and-so and such-and-such is Stephen. And it's, it was a beautiful, beautiful gesture. And, and Alan Baker and, and the concert, Lyric Consort has kept me involved in the process, which they certainly didn't need to do, but they've been so open with asking me about my opinion and keeping me abreast of, of the, the process. So the first of those three pieces is available now, and they're, they're ready to perform. It's called Our Voices Linger, and it's by the composer James Eakin III, with original text by Charles Anthony Silvestri, which some folks out there will recognize uh, Silvestri works with Whitaker, Eric Whitaker a lot. So this is new music and new poetry in Stephen's honor because of the Lyric Consort's commission, which is beautiful. So they'll be doing that. And then we also have an instrumental piece that was brought to me <laughs> literally, I think it was two days after Christmas, by Gail Kleber, a member of the Beverly Trio, along with Tom Hines and Harold Levine. I met with Gail for lunch after Christmas, and she pushed a piece across the table to me and said, Harold has written this piece for us, for Stephen. If you like it and you think it's appropriate, we'd love to play it for you for May. I had no idea this was happening. I, it was a complete surprise to me. And of course I loved it, and of course it is appropriate. So Harold's piece, Five Minutes for Stephen, will be performed by the Beverly Trio uh, on May 1st as well. And so those types of things, these beautiful serendipitous things that are happening, but also it's not just serendipity, it's people's effort. That has influenced my programming because <laughs> in 2020, these pieces didn't exist. So, you know, it's this, this beautiful emotional response of, I can't believe these folks have done this for Stephen and, and, and really for me in some ways. I, of course we're going to include them. What do I cut? <laughs> So it, so I think Stephen was just laughing at me every step of the way as I was figuring that out. But aside from that, basically everything else on the program is something that Stephen had prepared or performed with his groups. It's choral music ranging from the Renaissance with Palestrina and Victoria all the way, as I say, to today, literally. 
We have things that are representative of Arcadia Corral's Pops concert. We have things that are representative of the Bach Festival. We have things that he did with his students at Wilkes, things that he sang with Lyric. So everything was chosen for a reason. Um, And then one of the, again, getting back to the alums, Stephen picked certain pieces, and I think a lot of choral directors do this. I know it was my experience, too, where there are certain pieces that are like the ensemble's pieces, where no matter what year you went to school or were in the ensemble, if you were in it long enough, you probably sang this piece. So an alum from 10 years ago would be able to share that experience with the current students. So three of those pieces are included in this program. So one is Palestrina's Siku Cervus, which he did with his chamber singers. So we have, I believe it's nine, nine of our chamber singers alumni will be joining Lyric Concert for that. So that'll be beautiful. And then at the very end of the concert, Lutkin's The Lord Bless You and Keep You and Smith's arrangement of Ride the Chariot were two of those pieces that he did with his students all the time. So those are the ones that that's going to be our y'all come. So Arcadia Corral, Lyric Consort, the current Wilkes students, the Wilkes alumni and our special musical guests who have known Stephen will all come together to sing those two pieces. And I'm, I'm very, very pleased and, and again humbled that the soloist for Ride the Chariot is Kelly Pleva Scott who is an alum of Wilkes. Uh, She was a student of mine, a student of Stevens, and a student of Dr. Lisa Levy's, who's at at Wilkes now with the choirs. She's going to come and do the solo. And it's just, it's really this incredible outpouring of shared connection, but but also there are folks here who will never have met each other, but they are connected through this music. And and I've picked them because, I've picked those pieces because of Stevens. So lots of ways to connect. I hope that was my goal. It is a robust program. (laughs) Whoever was in charge of saying no to me about this program totally blew it because I never heard that word for two years. I have not heard the word no from anyone. So it is a robust program, but a beautiful one. And I'm looking forward to to having that experience with everyone in the room. Is it a public performance? It is indeed. Yes, at the at the moment, it is open to the public. It is free, no no admission charge. We are taking donations for Arcadia Corral has established the Dr. Stephen Thomas Memorial Fund, so we will be accepting donations for that. We do encourage folks to bring a mask just because of the the size of the gathering and the, and the closeness and just to keep everyone safe. But and let us close, if we might, with John O'Donohue. Yes, last July, July of twenty twenty one, when we knew we had to postpone this memorial concert yet again. It, it was too long to consider not doing something to mark Stephen's passing. And I know myself and my family and, and our community, we're not the only ones to have had to postpone these types of celebrations. And my heart breaks for everyone who has been in that situation because I don't think you realize how much you need that ritual until it's denied you. And it certainly was denied us. So my family and I decided, well, we're going to do something small, but but we do need to mark this. And and as part of that, my brothers read some things. And my brother Mark, who is, I'm very, very fortunate to have a tremendous, tremendous support system with my siblings who thought of Stephen as their brother, not their brother-in-law, their brother. My brother Mark picked a poem by John O'Donohue called On the Death of the Beloved. And he asked if, for what he wanted to read. And I said, OK, well, I'm glad you picked something, but send it to me because, you know, I get veto power. And he said, yes, oh, yes, of course. So he sent it to me. And as I was reading it, there, there was a particular stanza in it that I thought, yes, of course, this is perfect. This is perfect. This describes my experience with Stephen. And it's the way that we will move forward from his passing. And I've included it on the back cover of our program for May 1st. And this, this is uh, part of it. John O'Donohue from On the Death of the Beloved. Though we cannot see you with outward eyes, 
We know our soul's gaze is upon your face, smiling back at us from within everything to which we bring our best refinement. Let us not look for you only in memory, where we would grow lonely without you. You would want us to find you in presence, beside us when beauty brightens, when kindness glows, and music echoes eternal tones. I think when he settled on the notion of a, of a concert, he, he really brightened at the idea. I think he said that to me because he was concerned about us, that he wanted us to come together to, to have the communal experience of relying on each other, to be listening to one another, to not have to do anything alone. And I, I don't know if that was explicit in his request, but I, I think underneath it was be together, be together and make something beautiful out of this. Sue Min Savage. She is a vocalist, educator, speech language pathologist, and writer of creative nonfiction. And she married Stephen Thomas in 2006. Speaking with us about Stephen in anticipation of a memorial concert celebrating Dr. Stephen Thomas this Sunday, May 1st at 4 o'clock in the afternoon at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in downtown Wilkes-Barre. Sue was sincere in her gratitude to each and every musician, family member, student and friend for supporting her throughout and for their love of Stephen and she wants each of us to know that we are most welcome. For more information on the web, arcadiacorral.org, arcadiacorral.org, A-R-C-A-D-I-A, corral.org. That's this Sunday, May 1st, at 4 o'clock at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Wilkes-Barre. There is no admission charge, but donations will be accepted for the Dr. Stephen Thomas Memorial Fund. For more information, arcadiacorral.org. What Sweeter Music by David Dickow, featuring the lyric consort from an album titled What Sweeter Music from 2017. And it is a performance that includes tenor Stephen Thomas. And the Lyric Consort will perform this Sunday afternoon without their dear friend and colleague Stephen Thomas to remember him in a memorial concert on May 1st at 4 o'clock 35 South Franklin Street, St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Wilkes-Barre. And the Arcadia Chorale has a website, arcadiacorral.org. So many friends and former students, students of Stephen Thomas, representatives of Wilkes University, all gathering, the music community at large, gathering together to remember their dear friend and colleague. We here at WVIA have counted Stephen to be a true professional friend, and we recognize that the Northeastern Pennsylvania community misses him sorely, and we do as well, and we offer our deep and heartfelt 
feelings of comfort and gratitude to Sue, members of the family, his family, her family, and to all his friends, students and former students, all those who cared about and loved Stephen.